going to be a while. Um, but we're in, Psalm, in Psalms chapter 11 today, so I'm going to turn there, and well, let me just read the whole thing since it's fairly short. For the choir director, a Psalm of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they make ready their arrow upon the strings to shoot in darkness at the upright of, in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven, and his eyes, behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord uh, tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. Mm, let's pray. Father, we thank you that... that you love righteousness, and we just confess that we are not righteous, but you are, and we thank you for your son who has imparted his righteousness to us as a free gift, and we just praise you as we get started this morning. Uh, open our ears and our minds and our hearts to your Holy Spirit and your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, this is a psalm of confident faith that God is in charge despite the fact that all the foundations of the world are crumbling. Verse 1 says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, it's clear that it's just a simple psalm. There's not a little addition to how you're supposed to sing it or how it's supposed to be, uh, be presented. It's real simple. And the message of the psalm is very simple. In the Lord I take refuge. That's where we need to be. The whole point of the psalm is to take refuge in God. But the problem is, the world says other things. He says, verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow and make ready their arrows upon the string uh, uh, to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the reality is, the world is asking this question. What do we do? What do we do if the structure of society crumbles, if the foundations of government crumble, if the foundations of relationships crumble, what do we do? The reality is David's already said what we do. He makes a point of saying, I have started in one place. I am in the refuge of the Lord. He's protecting me. Interestingly, the attack hasn't really started. It says they're simply bending their bow. They're preparing an attack. 
And the idea is, oh, run, because things might get hard. Things might get difficult, and, and you know, your security is not really where it should be, right? And the world has a false security. It, it thinks, hey, if things get bad, we run from it, right? That's, that's typical. But as we abide in him, we're in the light. And we're told not to be afraid, not to fear. And the world, and actually the adversary, is waiting for us to to step out of the light, out of the presence of God, out of his security, so that we will be in darkness and we can be attacked. When our faith isn't in Christ then it puts us under attack. Interesting, the foundations here are plural. It's not, what if your foundations of your trust in God crumble, but your foundations around you that are normal, that are societal foundations, or or the religious institute. What if it crumbles? What if, what if, the pastor you really love ends up falling into sin. What if whatever happens around you starts crumbling? For David, this is connected to the time when Saul was trying to kill him. And the foundations of the government had crumbled around him. His king was supposed to protect him. Saul was on the throne. He had helped him conquer the Philistines. And now he's hurling spears at him. He's hiding in the hills. And his friends are like, look, be a man of violence. Go kill the guy. David said, no, I'm going to trust God. His timing is perfect. When God wants to take him out, I'll take him out. It's not my place. First Samuel uh, 23 says, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands because he had entrusted himself to God's protection. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, if the firm foundations of God stands having this seal that the Lord knows who are his. We have a seal on us. God knows who you are. God knows what struggles you're facing and he knows what's against you. And he's building a church. Matthew says that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Our hope is based on a firm foundation. And as we entrust ourselves to Christ, as the enemy puts these thoughts in our head that there's evil, we need to take refuge somewhere else. We need to run away. 
the wicked are all around us. And they're wanting to shoot us. What can we do? Hebrews says, we're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of our soul. And what can the world do? When the foundations do crumble, when society crumbles, when whatever it is that you hold dear crumbles, if you don't have faith, where do you go? What do you do? Whether it's internal fears or outside influences, we're not to be removed. Our refuge is in the Lord. And David recognizes that the attacks are real. And he says, why do I flee? I'm already in the stronghold of God. Where else can I go? What's stronger? Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven, and his eyes behold, his eyes test the son of men. Sons of men. In other words, the true foundation of everything can't crumble. The world can say, oh, it's getting bad. It's getting wor- you know, horrible. You need to be afraid. And God says, no, you don't have to be afraid. There's no need to be scared. Because I see what's going on. I know what's going on, and I'm in control. He's on the throne beyond the reach of these adversaries. Interesting, Corinthians 6 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? God is on the throne, and that throne is in your presence. You are in the presence of God. You are empowered by him. Hebrews 4, and there is no creature, creation, hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sees it all. And he examines the whole creation. Both his church and the world. He knows what's going on. And we can entrust ourselves to him. The world, in turn, wants to hide from him. That's why they say, oh, you should run, you should hide. But that's what we, as fallen nature, pushes us to. If you go back to Genesis, what was the first thing they did after they sinned? They heard God walking in the garden and they hid. Why do we want to hide when we know that we have a king on the throne who's in charge of everything? We hide because we know we have a problem. And God wants to correct the problems in our life. And we don't want 
to be corrected because we think we're perfect. We think we're right. We think we're everything we do is is okay because you know I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. I'm a good person, right? I don't need to change anything because you know sin is secondary. No, we hide from God because we have sin in our lives. David, on the other side, says we don't need to hide from him. We need to rest in him. We need to entrust ourselves to him. Allow him to impact our lives, to be our guard, to change us into his image. We see the same idea in Revelation Chapter 6, they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Why do we draw back? Because there's sin in our lives. How do we get out of that state of hiding? We have to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. When you come before the king, he's a king that wants to forgive. He's a king that wants the best. He's perfect. And he's on the throne. And all the crumbling things around us are crumbling because God allows it to crumble. In fact, it's a part of the judgment to come. It is all going to crumble. The only foundation we have is Christ. Verse 5, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. And upon the wicked he will raise snares and fire and brimstone. Burning wind will be the portion of their cup. I want you to notice two things that are going on here. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. In other words, God allows all these situations to happen to prove you, to test you. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under those trials for once he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him what's the promise we're in a battle but we have a stronghold and that stronghold is in Christ and we're entrusting ourselves to that And we are called to persevere under that battle, under those conditions that seem so difficult, entrusting ourselves to him. He tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. 
You know, one of the things we see in society, and we've seen it for centuries, is a craving for violence. We see it played out today in, in our television shows and our games. And it's there to feed our craving for violence. And that's a natural sin tendency that we have. God says he hates that. He hates the people who love violence. Why? Because it's just about hurting each other. God is not about hurting you. He's about healing you. But ultimately, if you live in violence, what does it say? You will, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. He'll give you what you want. And society wants that. They want to live by violence. I've met countless people who are excited about fighting or wanting to get into situations that are just horrible for them. And it's fun for them in some twisted way. God says, I hate that. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. It's Proverbs 8.36. When we're rebelling against God, we're injuring ourselves. When we're choosing violence over grace, we injure ourselves. And we love death. William Cowper wrote, "'Tis my happens below not to live without the cross, but the Savior's power to know sanctifying every loss. Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet and lay me low and keep me there. Did I meet no trials here, no chastisement by the way? May I not with reason fear I should prove a castaway? Bastards may escape the rod, sunk in earthly vain delight. But the true-born child of God must not, would not if he might. God said, you're going to have trials in this world. But I've overcome it. You're going to have difficulties. Guaranteed. People are going to resist the gospel and love and grace. But we're to be those who persevere. And we're supposed to know that he's doing something. God doesn't love the lover of the violence. He hates them. The reality is... The wicked are under a curse, and the curse of the law brings them under wrath. Literally, 
hated by God, trapped in their snares. We saw in the last chapter that God's patient in his plan. He allows the time for those traps to spring, but he also leaves the opportunity for repentance. Could it be that those traps are the prosperity of the wicked? The pleasures, the wealth, the power of the wicked? And yet, God sends a rainstorm of those things that seem wonderful, but really catch them in a snare. And yet, we still envy that, as opposed to pity it. God's allowing the wicked of the world to seem like they prosper because it's part of the snare that they have. Where did salvation come for the uh, um, oh, Zacchaeus when he gave up everything? said, I'm going to give back all this money and all this stuff. Jesus said, today, salvation's come to your house. Because it was a snare for him. And he recognized it. Power can be a major snare. Wealth can be a major snare. Holding you back from true relationship with God. And we need to guard against that. Not that those things are bad. But it's a danger. Because ultimately it feeds greed. And that's what the problem is. Second Peter uh, 2, 6, 9 says... If he commanded, uh, condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by the lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows. And the plan is perfect. The evil of this world will be destroyed. It will crumble and it will be done with in God's perfect timing. And we can bank on that and entrust ourselves to him. But he's also faithful to protect us, to guard us in the midst of that crumbling all around us. And that's exciting. 
that he loves us and he wants to protect us from all of that. But we're called to abide in him first. If you go out of the stronghold, then you have no protection. But if you abide in him, abide in his stronghold, abide in faith, nothing can touch you. Verse 7, for the Lord is righteous and he loves the righteous. And the upright will behold his face. As we cleave to him, we abide in his image, that hope won't disappoint. We'll see his face. Revelation 22 says his bondservants will serve him. They'll see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night. They will not have any need for light of the lamp nor light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them. And they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that exciting? The power structure will collapse that we see today. And God will establish himself. And we will reign with him. John 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, because we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. The Lord is righteous and he loves the righteous. The upright will behold his face. Where do we need to fix our hope? On him. And we'll see his face. challenge you to, with that today. Fix your hope on him so that you can see his face. If there's sin in your life, allow him to touch it, to reveal it to you, to illuminate yourself to what's missing, to change you into his image. Because we're all imperfect before him. And he wants to bring us to who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be imagers of him. Ambassadors of the kingdom to a world that is dying. That's your call. But you can only do it when you fix your hope on him. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to seeing your face face to face. We want to fix our hope on you. We know there's so many things that people put their hope in and put their trust in that fail. Thank you that you are on the throne and you see it all. You understand it all. And you're king. You allow things to collapse 
and crumble, but you uphold us as we abide in you. And so, Lord, today we just want to abide in you. Thank you for all you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.